Hey there, you're listening to Past to Present, a social studies podcast by educators for you. We'll take a look at the middle school social studies standards taught in the state of Texas. Together, let's clarify some key concepts in history and think of ways to help students relate history to their everyday life. So today's episode is take two. We've done this before. Uh, um, this is going to be Road to Civil War. Uh, sad story, actually. Uh, we recorded this, and it was really great, and Kevin had a lot of expertise, and I uh, deleted it. Well, it just, it, we had technical difficulties, but we recorded this, what, like three weeks ago? Yeah. And then it's almost impossible for us to get find time to do this now. Yeah, we're really busy. Kevin's coaching, and um, stars like a month away. So, good so, times. Yeah. Um, we're probably what you think we're only going to get to Civil War this year? Or do you think yeah, we'll skip the Civil we'll, War and go to Reconstruction? I don't know. I mean, I guess we can do... We'll see we where we do. end up, guys. Yeah, we're going to try to get through Road to Civil War. I know it's probably a little bit behind where some of you guys are teaching at, but... Um, Maybe for next year. Yeah, for sure. So, this is this is the best unit. My favorite unit. The most important unit. <laughs> you so, sound like me. I know, right? It's crazy. Um, and so I, the causes of the Civil War is my favorite because I kind of feel like it is the culmination of everything we've done the whole year. Yeah. Everything when I taught this unit and when I teach it next year always leads up to why did the Civil War start. Yeah. And that's kind of the whole purpose of this course, really. That, that's that's what it's aimed for, right? Yeah. I mean, you. I tell my kids, like, it starts – the writing was on the wall with the signing of the Declaration of Independence and how, you know, from there – this has been all leading up to this tension and this drama. Right, and I don't want it to come across like it was inevitable because I don't think anything is ever inevitable. We see it that way because we have hindsight. But Yeah. Um, you, you don't think it was inevitable? I don't know that it necessarily, maybe the way that it happened wasn't inevitable. There's a lot of things they could have done from here and there. Um, so we're jumping ahead right now, but if you could say that there's one moment where the Civil War became inevitable, what would it be? Um... Probably the Compromise of 1850. You think? Yeah. For me, I think it'd be the cotton gin. Absolutely. I could see that. Um, There's so many turning points that could have uh, avoided this, but um, it was going to be really difficult. Yeah. So. Okay. So looking at this, uh, somebody brought this to our attention. Uh, Selena Huckabee, who's the IC over at Maid Creek High School, um, kind of talked about using the idea of having like a quote to reference back to throughout the whole unit to kind of lead into an overarching question throughout the whole unit. So instead of just using an essential question to guide your unit, you take this quote. To write, kind of formulate your own. It's not necessarily yeah, an essential question. It's more of like a unit idea. question. That's a good idea. And so, um, and I've, I've never done this in the classroom, but I think I'm going to use this a lot next year. Um, so the quote I found was from Marcus Tullius Cicero. Um, those wars are unjust which are undertaken without provocation, for only a war waged for revenge or defense can be just. Hmm. Now, we're not going to talk much about the Civil War, but we are talking about justifications for the Civil War. And I like that quote because I think you can use it for every war. Correct. Right? Like you can kind of tie it to all the wars that students are going to learn throughout American history and talk about what is the purpose of war? Well, in this unit being called the road to civil war, it's not really one. I, I prefer to call it the road to secession because mm. the civil war, the causes of secession are different than the causes of the civil war. I would agree with that. So that's, that's brilliant, actually. Well, so the two questions I would have that would go with that quote would be, was the call for secession by Southern states justified? And does the rhetoric of the American Revolution support the secession movement? Mm. Um, I don't know that I would use those both together. I may separate those out, maybe use them with different classes. Mm -hmm. um, I really like that second one with the rhetoric of the American Revolution, especially I would definitely use it with academic kids because they need to be able to tie the language in the Declaration of Independence to maybe this road to secession. Well, and I think it helps them tie all of the things that happened with the American Revolution because sometimes – in our history, ideas and what we believe it to be right and what actually comes to fruition are two different things. And I really like that question because 
you know, we're out of the road to civil war now and we're headed into civil war in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And students just compared Jefferson Davis' first inaugural address to Lincoln's first inaugural address. And I think that that question really hits on the two speeches of the rhetoric. What is Abraham Lincoln using? What language is he using to describe the issue? And what is Jefferson Davis using? And it goes back to Federalist Anti-Federalists. Like it's so similar, except they're using it to support an opinion, right? Right. Of protecting slavery or not protecting slavery. But it just, it goes back to all of those problems that have been there all along from the very beginning between people who wanted a strong federal government and people who didn't. And they wanted it for various reasons, to protect different beliefs or different ideas. But it's just kind of interesting how when you just said that just now, it relates to later on even more as well. Right. So we have these main kind of things that we're going to look at when we talk about the the causes of the Civil War or causes of secession. The big one, though, is geography, right? Yeah. Sectionalism, Mm -hmm. the, the idea that economics... This is the reason the war is fought, um, and it's also the reason the need, for, well, not the need for slavery, but what was perceived to be the need for slavery. Right. Um, and so having those kids make those connections from what we did with the three colonial regions and even uh, adding the West later on to this is a huge factor in right. this. Well, it goes back to, like, culture. Mm-hmm. How does culture develop? You're geography, your climate, your economic activity all helps develop your culture. And once you're entrenched in that culture, it's difficult to overcome that, right? It takes a long time. It takes a long time. Um, And it's not easy to let go of things that you perceive as extremely valuable to your way of life. Well, and sometimes we we know that we do things because we've always done it that way. Mm -hmm. And um, letting go of that tradition. It's hard to fault people for that. Especially when, like in this case, especially when it's the North who the South views doesn't need slavery, even though the North is still profiting from slavery significantly. But the the South perceives that the North doesn't need slavery and they're coming and trying to take it away. You you know what I mean? Well, I think the the Southerners saw the hypocrisy in the North because they knew that the, the, the factories and all that were running on... Cotton. Slave cotton. Yeah. And so... It's kind of... I explain that to kids like... It's like when you buy clothes, well, or I don't say you, but when I buy clothes from that I know are made in China, that could be made from child labor. Um, not all labor in China is child labor, obviously, but it's a similar idea. And if I'm knowingly buying something that's cheaper, am I endorsing some type of labor that maybe morally I disagree with, you know? Yeah, and that's that's really, um, that's a big deal right now, right? Yeah. Like, we've kind of cut out the gray area now and everything's black and white, yeah. and so... That would be something to delve into. Um, so the first kind of piece of legislation that I talk about is the Northwest Ordinance. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of these things I talk about, I kind of do in like gallery walks or short informative reading, mm-hmm. te- uh, informative text, simply because it takes a long time. Yeah. There are a lot of good videos on this too, like short right. video clips for certain things. So it wouldn't be bad for either a flipped lesson or even just uh, like an augmented reality where they go mm. around and they scan yes. and watch a video instead of reading something. Yeah, that's cool. Um, Northwestern Ordinance is important simply because it's the first time Congress has said that where slavery can and can't exist. Right. It sets a precedent. Right. And so I like that because it does go back to the founders because, um, you know, it was the Articles of Confederation that did that. But it gives the kids kind of, hey, this has been an issue for a long time. Um, and then the Missouri Compromise. Again, just talking about the Jefferson firebell in the night, the wolf by the ears. Like, Evan Jefferson was terrified of what slavery was going to do to the country. Okay, so explain that to me. So when the Missouri Compromise comes about, and Jefferson writes— In 1820, right? Yeah, in 1820. And he okay. writes this—and uh, I believe it's a letter to a friend. And he talks about how slavery is going to be this huge issue. And at this point, Jefferson's anti-slavery but not pro-abolitionist. If that makes any sense. Yeah, it does make sense. Um, it doesn't, but it does. Well, it's Jefferson in a in a very succinct way of describing him. He understands something, but he doesn't know what to do with it, and he won't commit. Um, but he says that basically they had the wolf by the ears, and that mm-hmm. kind of goes, you know, we've got the wolf. We, we've held it away from us, but we can't let it go. Right. They're terrified of what to do with these freed slaves because of the Haitian Revolution. They are... Um, They've seen what the freed slaves in Haiti did to um, white and mulatto owners, and 
is not pretty. Yeah. And so they're terrified if they let the, if they let the slaves free. What is that going to look? What like? is that going to look like? Which leads to the and will there be slave retribution? Right. Which they had they have an example in history of something that took place. Yeah, I mean, there's been slave, minor slave rebellions and major slave rebellions multiple times up to this point in American history. I feel like a lot of white Southern slave owners did a lot to try and minimize that and not talk about it as much. Well, if we teach history from the standpoint you don't want history to repeat itself, then you can understand why the Southerners would not want to free their slaves yeah. from that standpoint, even if you were against slavery. They don't know what's happening. So that kind of leads to the colonization movement and sending slaves back to Africa. And so when we recorded this multiple weeks ago, yeah. I hadn't taught this unit yet. And I this is the first time ever that I've brought in the Haitian rebellion. And kids loved it. Yeah, They thought it was so cool. And one of my kids goes, Miss Stevens, I've learned a lot about slavery, but I've never thought about it that way. I've never thought about what it would be like from that point of view. And it's just, an, it brings an interesting, very realistic component to this issue. Well, and it, it's fairness, and it's got a little bit of blood and guts to it. And, yeah, um, they love that. And and I think they can somewhat, I don't want to use the word sympathize or empathize with the Southern slaveholders, but they can at least understand, understand the reasoning their point for of their point yeah. of view. Um, and not that they have to justify it, but it's just, no. and whether that's right or wrong, it's just understanding the reality of all of it. I always tell kids, like, I'm not trying to give you the eighth grade version of this. Like, I'm trying to give you the real history of what actually mm-hmm. happened, and you decide what to make of it. Right. So from there, we move into, you kind of brought up the nullification crisis, and I've never really approached that in this unit. Um, do you do that from, like, Kentucky and Virginia resolutions or? Well, we just talk about nullification because the South uses that as a defense mechanism mm-hmm. to kind of. I Justify mean, states' rights. Right. That's their major. And when you look at Jefferson Davis's first inaugural address, he doesn't talk about slavery at all. Literally, the word slavery is not used. Um, he talks about tariffs and he talks about the fact that the North just has refuse to acknowledge the rights of the states. And um, so we go back to the nullification crisis and we talk about that, how that was a point at which South Carolina was already threatening to secede right Right. then and there. And it really wasn't about slavery at that point in time. It really was about tariffs. And so I just want kids to understand that this idea of secession wasn't just overnight an idea, like it's something that has been an ongoing problem in our country. And we thought we had solved it with Jackson basically saying, you don't have the right to do that. But here we are again. And the Civil War is going to once and for all kind of finalize that. Well, and also, if you're looking for more in depth, there's the Hartford Convention at the end of the War of 1812, where the the New England states, not out and out, um, not really explicitly, but they talk about secession as well. Um, Well, and it's fun now to kind of juxtapose that issue with Lincoln's mm -hmm. first inaugural address. I know I'm talking a lot about this, but those speeches are really great. But showing the kids, like, I love the part where um, Lincoln talks about it being a contract. Mm -hmm. And he compares the Constitution to a contract, basically saying, we all ratified this contract. And you don't just get to walk away from a contract unless all parties walk away from the contract. Um, And so it's just kind of this interesting idea of what is the United States ultimately? Are we a a series of states that are just together as a league of friendship, like the Articles of Confederation, or are we more than that? And how do we deal with that when we have problems between the federal government and the states? And I think it's just an interesting thing for kids to kind of evaluate and think about because it's so obvious to them now, right? They're like, oh, you can't, states can't just do whatever they want. Well, yeah, but there's a reason for that. Well, and states are doing whatever they want, though, right now, too, right? Depending on the topic. What do you mean? Marijuana. Well, yeah, I mean, but that's because the federal government has allowed it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you're being honest, that's because the federal government has allowed it because they can regulate commerce. And so it's just an interesting thing for kids to kind of grapple with. And they love talking about that. Well, and it's funny you talk about the, um, the Lincoln inaugural because I was talking with the teacher that I work with, uh, Miss Craven here, and she was saying that her kids were reading through the inauguration. She said they struggled with the language in it, mm-hmm. but when they were reading it, they already know what Lincoln did. So they're like, "Why is he lying? Why is he? Why is he yeah. making this up? He's not telling the truth." 
Um, and so that kind of gets, they know what's going on, which can hurt the teaching of this and the inevit- inevitability of something. Yeah. But it also kind of makes it interesting because they get fired up like, but he he did he does this right. So um, well, I think that that's an interesting point because kids when they come to me at the beginning of the year, I always ask them, who are the two most influential people in American history? And they'll always say one of three people: Martin Luther King Jr., which is fair; George Washington, also fair; or Abraham Lincoln. And I I ask them to justify their answer at the very beginning of the year, and they all say Lincoln freed slaves. And at this point in the history, I start teaching them like, well, maybe that's not necessarily the whole truth. And so I think they love learning that people are more complex than what historians just try to make them out to be sometimes. Yeah, I think so. But with that, uh, with the two speeches, I know this is more like Civil War, but we did something very unique with them this year because I always struggle to teach those speeches. It's really hard. And especially my demographics at my campus are 63% free and reduced lunch, largely ESL population. And so what we did is we took excerpts and the kids had to go through and read them and just identify if Lincoln or Davis was talking about liberty in that excerpt Mm. or equality. Okay. Um, And so we talked about what is liberty and what is equality. And we talked about the two things. And we talked about how in Jefferson Davis, he's talking a lot about liberty, but he's not talking about liberty as in freeing slaves. Yeah. He's talking about liberty as in states' rights. And the kids were able to go through and do it with pretty great ease. So it was really... Very cool. It was really cool activity. So after nullification, uh, we move into the Kansas-Nebraska Act um, and kind of Uncle Tom's Cabin as well. Mm -hmm. Something that's interesting about Uncle Tom's Cabin... um, is that the South, I don't know if you knew this, there were numerous authors who wrote anti-Uncle Tom Cabin. Really? Uh, the South was fired up about it. Well, you couldn't even have the book in the, the South, basically. <laughs> and so they have these uh, other novels that are written to extol the virtues of slavery in the South. Um, the South basically claims that it's a lie. The oh, yeah. I mean, it's, a it's fiction. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you talk about the thing I like about Uncle Tom's Cabin is is the kids can just, you know, understand that if it, the book's really good, it becomes a movie. So it's a play that's thrown all over the United States, and it's the most popular book of its day. I call it going viral. Right. I, that's how I compare it for kids today because they don't really understand. But it's basically like it went viral. Yeah, and they get that. And, and, they, and it's also important to show them how art and literature impact these movements. Well, and they reflect the, the, the day. They reflect... Um, the issues of the day right. and it happens in music a lot of my kids talk about with, with this I try to get them to compare something today mm-hmm. a lot of kids will talk about SNL and how SNL will take very hot topics and not that this is satire by any means right. Uncle Tom's Cabin is clearly not satire but just talk about how it it's used for public entertainment in a sense but it also shows the very seriousness of whatever situation might be going on. Well, I would say it's similar to, like, um, the Black Lives Matter movement and the hate you give. Yes, exactly or, like um, that. That's t- a really good comparison. Do your eighth graders watch SNL, really? Yeah, they really do. Huh. I know. I figured it would be more like... Uh, no, I have some kids, like, especially those GT kids that yeah. they're very sarcastic. They really relate to SNL. Was it... Uh, Key and... Uh, Key and Peele. Like, I figured there, there's some... It has a little bit edgier... It, yeah. Um social social stuff in yeah. there as well too well uncle tom's cabin is a really good time to bring in the industrial revolution as well and i always like to kind of tell the story of harriet beecher stowe and how she took a train to the south to visit her cousin and there saw for the first time the evils of slavery and even though it's minor that train really impacted her ability to experience um you know what slavery looked like firsthand mm-hmm. and then use that to kind of tell the story that she felt needed to be told but um, it's just kind of interesting for kids to understand that transportation is going to change the way that we move and how quickly mm. information gets um, disseminated yeah, yeah gets spread so one thing before we go to Dred Scott and Kansas Nebraska we kind of skipped ahead of Compromise of 1850 and I said that is what I believe to be kind of the the, the point of no return because uh, you know the big thing is there's California can choose to be a free state Mm-hmm. And Congress said, no, you can't do that. Well, the Southerners said that the states don't have the right to do that, or territories. Which is ironic. It's just very ironic, right? Uh, especially considering that the Compromise of 1850 comes about because of um, 
Douglas, Stephen Douglas. Mm-hmm. I guess it's not. I mean, he does go on to push that same idea later on. But um, you know, California decides to become a free state. They thought they had solved this whole issue. Southern states kind of talked. I think they're called the Nashville Conventions. They talked about secession. Mm-hmm. If the South secedes in 1850, they probably win. They don't, uh, obviously. And so um, they move to the, the – the Fugitive Slave Act is the big piece that's controversial. Right. This is where Northerners have to care about slavery because now they're required to participate in the returning of slaves. And so you see a lot of Southern – I mean, um, non-slave states. I think Michigan and Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Pass. Uh, they they nullify the, the Fugitive Slave Act. It, the the Compromise of 1850 to me is a very ironic piece of legislature because you're telling me that the South is arguing against the right of South, of California to make a decision for themselves. That's against states' rights, right? Which is fundamentally quote unquote why the Civil War happens in their opinion. And then they have the Fugitive Slave Act, which is using the federal government to protect slavery. Yep which is against their argument of states' rights. And then what was the other point that you just said, the last one? Oh, nullification. the North is nullifying laws, which they argue the South cannot do. Right. It's just ironic to me. Well, they're using they're, – they're they don't mind being hypocritical. No. For their own ends. That's, and that's politics in general, Right. Right. So, um, not to have a negative point of view, but <laughs> well, negative versus realistic. <laughs> politics aren't that much different today than they've always been. True. We just think we know more than we probably actually do know. Very true. So, um, we move into Kansas, Nebraska, and this is where Stephen Douglas pops up again and he talks about wanting to allow slavery in Kansas, Nebraska. So, why does he do that? So, this is about the time that the Transcontinental Railroad's coming along. And he really wants the Transcontinental Railroad to go through Illinois and have a hub in Chicago. Oh, that's a that's a really good opportunity to pull back to the Industrial Revolution. Right. Okay, keep going. And so because of that, he needs it to go through the Kansas-Nebraska Territory. Okay. Southerners recognize this and go, all right, we'll help you, but you've got to do this for us. Mm. And so he pro- proposes basically uh, doing away with the Missouri Compromise. Okay. And that's the huge issue, and that's where you start to see this idea of um, – Really, the, the Free Soil Party and the idea of free soil for free men, free white men, by the way, um, it's not, they're not wanting uh, any kind of uh, African Americans there. Okay. So he gets it passed, and obviously this disrupts everything. And his idea is let the people of Nebraska and Kansas choose for themselves popular and sovereignty. It's important to note that around this time, Henry Clay dies. Correct. And so I think that that has a lot to do with it as well. So. 1850 is the end of uh, the Compromise of 1850 is kind of the last hurrah for Webster, uh, Calhoun, and Clay. Clay. Well, the, the Compromise of 1850 was meant to be a band aid, right? To I think the Missouri they th- comp- like a one time. Well, I think they thought they solved. Thing. I think they thought they solved the issue because now America's built out. Right, and so in the future it would just continue back to the Missouri Compromise: one free, one slave. Right. Like they weren't trying, with the Compromise of 1850, they weren't trying to undo, they were just trying to figure out what the heck to do with California at that moment. Which is why they have to come up with the Compromise of 1850 because the Missouri Compromise only deals with the Louisiana Territory. Right. And so they don't know what to do with this Mexican session. So they think they're done. Yeah. Everything, it's not, it's not really a trade one for one, but they just figured out, hey, slavery can't exist here. It can't exist here. We're good to go. Okay. And there was even talk in the Compromise of 1850 of splitting Texas up into multiple states hmm. so that you could have two and three and four slave states added. Ah, uh, for more Senate power. More Senate power. But, and They're that's, tricky. They are. Um, there's all kinds of ways that are looked at. And I think if you look on uh, Wikipedia, they actually have a map of the proposed uh, cutting up of Texas. Thank goodness they did not do that. That it, is it looked criminal. Weird. It looked that really is criminal. Weird. How, can you imagine how different tattoos would look? <laughs> <laughs> I always joke with kids, like, who gets a state tattooed on them other than Texans? You don't see people walking around with, like, Maryland tattooed on them. Do you? I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm not in Maryland. Yeah, I think it's because we don't live in Maryland. I've never once met someone with a Louisiana tattoo, and I live pretty close to Louisiana. Uh, Fair enough. I mean, other countries like Venezuela, I've seen people with Venezuela tattoos and stuff, but Texas is uh, its own A lot of Hawaiian ones. A lot of Hawaiian ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, 
Anyway, anyway sorry. From the, <laughs> this question, that's the biggest tangent of the year, <laughs> this right? This is what I think about in my free time. So um, that's going to lead to the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Um, we'll come back to that, though. Dred Scott's the big one. Yeah. And so... Well, Lincoln-Douglas debates, we can come back to it. But I just... My, the only thing that we really focus on is the house, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Right, and then the effects, Lincoln becoming popular. Popular, yeah. Popular. But That's even then, he's not popular. He Even then, he's not even supposed to win the Republican nomination. Right. He kind of sneaks himself in by being pretty neutral on a lot of mm. things and just being smart. He's, yeah. he's a very good politician. And I think, too, um, it's interesting for kids to kind of think about the Lincoln-Douglas debates and relates to today, how it kind of relates to how people become very famous today. I told my kids, I kind of compared it to Ted Cruz and Beto O'Rourke. Not that Beto O'Rourke has won the presidency or will win the presidency, but it's very similar, right? In the sense of Beto O'Rourke was a House of Representatives member. Mm -hmm. He decides to run against an already existing senator for Senate, becomes nationally famous, gets on Ellen, all these things, and all of a sudden now is propelled into a presidential candidacy yeah well you know the when uh, obama was running it was very similar to because of basically you know he's from illinois and all that or he was running from illinois i think the big thing though um with lincoln is is he he really didn't have a record to defend that much yeah he played it very makes it very fresh right well he he didn't have to you know he didn't have a voting record yeah which was what obama had done he kind of voted president on a lot of things and he had some other things where he voted but he played it very um neutral and not un- mm-hmm. uncontroversial mm-hmm. and so um when he was elected you know he didn't have to defend those things like say hillary clinton did you know she's got 25 years in the public spotlight where she has to defend things that she said that um yeah that's true it's really hard to do it is difficult and it's changed the game's changed a lot too because back then they didn't have primaries right you had four major people on the ballot multiple from the same political party yeah i don't know that's a good question and now we have primaries which narrows the field down tremendously and gives a lot of power to the two political parties well when lincoln went to uh when lincoln was Going when the nomination for the GOP was going to come out, it was at the convention, which happened to be I think it was in Springfield. No, it was in Chicago, mm. and um, Lincoln was on like fourth tier. Mm. He was not expected to do anything. Everybody thought William Seward was going to be the president, and then there was Salmon Chase and another gentleman from Missouri, and I can't remember his name right off the top of my head. Wow, I'm really disappointed in you. I know, I'm too. <laughs> but Lincoln, with it being in Chicago, he was able to finagle things. Yeah. yeah he, kind of he's a smart man he didn't break the law but anyway Dred Scott the idea that slaves can be taken wherever they, they they're allowed to be taken anywhere now yeah uh, which had been hadn't been anyway like a lot of southerners would vacation like in Martha's Vineyard or the Hamptons and they would take their slaves with them to the Hamptons and nobody said anything because there's probably some socioeconomic issues there well and again this goes against the whole states' rights argument. Again, the, Nash, the the southern states are using the federal government to protect their property. And to me, that just debunks the age-old debate as to whether the Civil War was about slavery or states' rights. So there's a really interesting book called um, Apostles of Disunion. Mm. And they talk, they, they have these, so when South Carolina declared secession, they were kind of like, uh, okay, what do we do? Oh, crap. So they sent out these people to other state legislatures to get them to vote. And everything is about slavery. There's nothing about states' rights. They have a lot of uh, these speeches that were given, yada, yada. After the war's over with, these same people are going around doing these basically PR tours to say, well, no, this was all about states' rights. Yeah. And it clearly wasn't. If you look at Alexander Stevens' cornerstone speech when he's the vice president of the Confederacy, uh, I would not read that in class. It's extremely inflammatory. Mm. It's clearly slavery. Yeah. And even then, in the... Confederate uh, Confederate Constitution, um, they prevent states from ever preventing slaves from being in any state in the Confederacy. There's I forget which article it is, but basically slavery will forever exist in the Confederacy, wow. and no state can choose that. That's interesting. So it's not states' rights. Yeah. I know that's people get fired up, and yeah, maybe it's states' rights based on slavery. But it's still slavery. Well, we've kind of talked about this in our last episode that we deleted on that I deleted on accident. (laughs) But I think there's just a lot of 
struggle in general with this issue of like how do we as modern Americans deal with the issue of the Civil War and the struggles of this country and the people in this country in general and I don't think it's easy to deal with on either side and I feel like people today still try to take a lot of personal responsibility for what their ancestors or yeah. what our ancestors did. And it's very painful. And I think sometimes people, I'm not making an excuse, but I think sometimes people try to use states' rights to make the pain of the situation a little less on themselves, which is not right. I don't know if that's right or not, but well, it's just kind of an, I, I don't I don't know. I think every culture has a way of Coping, sanitizing like, their history. Yeah, and making it less evil or less terrible. So, you know, you go to Russia and there's the talk of Stalin and Lenin is completely different. Than, yeah, it's um, like not taking responsibility. The, and and it's, what's, that's crazy to me because we don't have to take responsibility for what happened in 1850. Like we just have to take responsibility for how it still impacts our society today and Absolutely. our beliefs today. Yeah, I don't um, I don't see the romanticism in the Confederacy or why we have to defend what they did or I don't I, it just doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't to me either. But um, I guess that that's cuz we don't have that mindset. But I you know like and I kind of put it like I don't I probably don't have the same political views as my grandparents would have had. Yeah. Or my great-grandparents. No, for sure. Like I don't even have the same political views as my dad. Right. Like, very different. And so it's okay. Um, but we, for some reason, get really fired up. And it's, it's cultural, I think, more than yeah. anything. Um, but the Dred Scott case. So this doesn't get enough credit for how important this Supreme Court decision was. And I teach my kids that this is really the first and only Supreme Court decision that we will learn about that was not made by John Marshall. Because the other ones that's in, that are in the teaks are all decided by John Marshall. So this is Roger Taney. Yeah, and I think it's this is the second time uh, that judicial review has kind of kicked in. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a, he's not necessarily a... Uh, I can't remember if Taney's a slaveholder or not. Uh, I do know he was a law partner with uh, Francis Scott Key. Mm-hmm. He actually married Francis Scott Key's daughter. Uh, sister. How do you sister. know this stuff? I read way too You're much. so weird. I am weird. So... <laughs> Um, Roger Taney says a few things. Number one, he says that the Missouri Compromise is unconstitutional. Congress has no power to make any laws that can that regulate slavery. He's basically upholding popular sovereignty for states to decide for themselves. Yeah. Okay. Secondly, he says that no African-American can sue in court because they cannot possibly be a citizen. A citizen because of the color of their skin. Yeah. So I think one of the first acts of Congress was to— uh, when. The Constitution was just written was to determine who could vote mm-hmm. and, or who was a citizen. No, and, states decided that. Well, they decided who vote, but they decided, this federal government decided who were citizens. Are you sure? Because mm-hmm. what I was listening to the other day said that states decided on citizenship all the way up until the 13th Amendment, the 14th Amendment, which is why the 14th Amendment had to be made, because they were starting to decide citizenship for their freed slaves. And so the 14th Amendment comes in and basically says, no, 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 any person born or naturalized is a citizen and states cannot deny that and has the full rights. I would be, we should look into that. My understanding was they had had basically made it, you had to be white to be a citizen. Um, Now what white is has changed over time, but um, could be. But then, but, but the thing is that that, that's the 14th Amendment. That's why the four, the need for the 14th Amendment was created. Because, because it's Dred Scott. Because Dred Scott was still, even after the Civil War, was still legally binding. Yeah, it was precedent. It was still legally binding. Um, and so it's very important that kids understand that the 14th Amendment is what undoes the Dred Scott decision well, then as also, far as citizenship goes. And then the idea that people have the right to take their slaves wherever, they have the right to take their property wherever they want, and no state can take that away unless due process of law. Right. And um, and that's changed even more over time because that comes into play later on when we're dealing with segregation yeah. of restaurants and the federal government uses the 14th Amendment and the Commerce Clause to basically desegregate restaurants in America. Right. right. And so it's a lasting battle that it's not like it's not like the federal government comes in during Reconstruction and says, OK, this is what you're going to do. And all the states just agree. Well, I think that's the thing. We always teach Dred Scott that it ends right when he makes that decision. And it has there it has repercussions that have to be addressed later on. Yeah, and that's not an easy process. So after we, we you know, we're through um, Kansas, Nebraska. Now we're at Lincoln Douglas. You know, Lincoln becomes famous. Uh, he loses. 
um, the the Senate, the Senate race. The Senate race. Thank um, goodness. Right. And then what you have from there is John Brown's raid on Harper's Ferry. Mm-hmm. And this is like goes back to that Haitian Revolution fear of a slave rebellion. John Brown, he, he's an interesting character. He's a terrorist. Yeah. But it's also crazy. something to to look at with the kids and have them look at, you know, he, he had behaved poorly at uh, Kansas, uh, Bleeding Kansas. Yeah, we I mean, kind of skipped over Bleeding but, Kansas. Yeah, we did, but he's the reason for Bleeding Kansas. He's Him a, and he, his sons. Yeah, they hacked to people they showed up. at the Potawatomi Massacre. And that's why I always tell kids, I'm like, look, we have a lot of tension in yeah. our politics today. But when we go to the voting polls, people don't die. Yeah. We may not like each other. We may say some words, but uh, people don't die. And that's what was happening with Bleeding Kansas. And that's when people knew, like, this was about to erupt into some serious conflict. Well, and if you've talked about, like, Lyman Beecher um, and the reform movement, you know, he's this huge minister in the Northeast, Harriet Beecher Stowe's brother. Mm -hmm. He sends guns to, to Bleeding Kansas. Like, he's involved in directly, like, this this personal attack, this violence. And so because John Brown steps on the stage, um, Southerners see this as a justification for what they're about to do. And there's, uh, you know, a couple excerpts, like, from the North Carolina Register. If you're looking for these, it's, like, December 9th, 1859. And they blame the North, and they blame the Republicans for John Brown. And then they do the same thing, uh, Charleston Spirit, December 7th, 1859. And it specifically says Republican leaders contributed to Brown's Harper Ferry Enterprise as they had before contributed to keep him at his bloody work in Kansas. Right, because in the North he's seen as a hero. He is, and that's what scares them. That's what terrifies them. And that's what I tell kids. I'm like, the the South gets a little freaked out because at this point— they're not like, oh, you want to abolish slavery. They're like, oh, you're trying to arm our slaves to rise up and kill us. Yes. That, the, the John Brown thing had a huge, huge impact on why Southerners ended up doing it. Because if you look back to all the things that have been settled in those other issues, slavery's actually expanded. Right. Missouri, uh, you know, Louisiana Territory had been closed off. Now it's open. Right. Um, you've got Dred Scott, which allows... People to take their slaves wherever and you allows got popular sovereignty. Popular sovereignty. You got allowed. the Fugitive Slave Act. So there's no like there's no restriction in slave rights anywhere. Right. And so the thing that I've come to understand is John Brown is what terrified them. Yeah. And maybe they recognized that it had expanded and that uh, whatnot. But you know Lincoln never says anything about doing away with slavery. But I I think it's also the fact that it's John Brown and that the North is promoting the. Um, help me out here, the, like, killing of slave owners right. by slaves. And then it's also the fact that almost immediately after that, Lincoln gets elected with not a single Southern vote. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. They, and they realize not only have they lost possibly, like, emotional power, but they've also lost political power in the country. And at that point, it's just, to them, it's writing on the wall that it's just all going to go downhill from there. Well, I mean, I think, you know, through our first 16 presidents, most of them were from slave states. Yeah. Um, you know, you take out the two Adams uh, presidents, which I think even John Adams, really Massachusetts was still probably had slaves when John Adams was elected. Um, but then Lincoln kind of wins in a, not necessarily a landslide, but an electoral college domination. He just, yeah. he's not even on the ballot in the South. But I, and I like to look at the picture of the the electoral map map yes of the electoral college and i ask my kids what is the vocabulary word that describes this map and they can all easily tell you sectionalism mm-hmm. and then i'm like okay look at the regions who voted for lincoln and they realize not a single southerner voted maybe like you said not a single southern region voted to give lincoln um votes in the Electoral College, and um, that's a dire situation for the South because they're afraid that, like I've said, they've lost their political Well, power. the Three-Fifths Compromise no longer gives them the advantage it once had. Um, and you can take that all the way back to geography and economy. Mm-hmm. The, the, the immigrants are going to the northern states for the factory jobs, and from there they're moving out west. Yep. They're not going to the south. Louisiana is the only state that's giving a significant amount of uh, – uh, immigration simply because of New Orleans. Yeah. The rest of it is just primarily to the north. Yeah. Um, and so then, you, like, we, we talked about the election of 1860, but 
you know, the whole thing is, this is a secession. This is not the Civil War. Right. What caused secession? The war is completely different. And, you know, we talked about slavery being a states' rights issue. Slavery is an economic issue. I don't know that it was necessarily, I mean, there was obviously, they used racism to deter or explain why they should enslave the Africans. Yeah, it kind of developed, like racism developed as a result of the institution of slavery and trying to keep that and uh, protect it, I would think. That's interesting. That's something that people are arguing about. It's kind of a chicken or egg thing. Um, there's a book called Stamped by the Stamped in the Beginning, mm. and he talks about a lot of this racist view that existed before even exploration, uh, primarily by the Portuguese, but it was accepted by the rest of Europe. I mean, even look at some of the way uh, Shakespeare wrote African characters in his plays, and mm. he kind of reinforced these ideas. But anyway, um, but it really does take hold to to support the idea of keeping slavery. Yeah, it's all economics, though. Yeah, I mean, they, for sure. And the country. I mean, most of the, the revenue comes from tariffs based on cotton. Right. The early wealth of this country is built on the back of slavery, and it's okay to say that, and it's okay to 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 just, I mean, look at the facts, and it's there. Yeah. Um, and then— And that's what I tell kids all the time. Like, what runs the world? They all know money. money. Money runs the world. And not that that's the way it should be. Not that I'm teaching them that's the way it should be. It's just the reality of history is money— runs the world well the, the allocation of resources yeah and so um i mean it's easier for kids to say money i know than allocation of resources, well but, but as a teacher you're looking at we say money and it kind of gets this greedy term but free enterprise right now is still the most efficient use of the resources we have and you right if you have the government telling what people can and can't do it kind of sometimes we've kind of talked about that before of how like it, free enterprise is a struggle for me and a struggle for everyone because in free enterprise there has to be a winner and there has to be like a, a loser. That that's every economic really system. That's really bad. That's every economic Not communism. Communism. <laughs> on paper or in real life? On paper or in real life? No, I'm just kidding. On paper, but... In real life, everybody loses. Yeah, well, so far. So far. <laughs> no, nobody's perfected it yet. And so, um, anyway... What are our sources for today, though? Like, where do we get this information so, other than your brilliant mind? I'm not brilliant. I just read a lot and listen yeah. to people smarter than me. Um, there's a really a good set of uh, podcasts, which we always push. I mean, I'm, I'm addicted. Yeah. I mean, you're an addict, too, right? Yeah, well, um, you know it's bad whenever my kids, my students... I'm always like, so I was listening to this podcast, <laughs> yeah, and they yeah. roll their eyes, and they're yeah. like, you're always listening to podcasts. That's my coworkers. So hardcore, uh, teaching hard history. I loved it. It's great. And the, it's phenomenal. It's, and Not uh, the new stuff. you got to go. I'm not trying to be rude. But the new stuff is a little dry because they're just interviewing teachers. Okay. And I'm not big on it. But the one about, like, American slavery, mm-hmm. that series is fantastic. And they have a ton of resources if you go to the website for mm-hmm. it. Um, another Which one. Which is what? Uh, it's on tolerance.org. Okay. Uh, which has a lot of other stuff not related to teaching art history. Um, then there's the um, I Like Uncivil. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a little more modern. A little bit more modern. It tells some cool stories that kids might like. Um, yeah. And it's uh, by Gimlet Media, I yes, think. Yes, it is. And then that's a podcast. We haven't done a new episode in a while, though. Well, they're kind of having the, – the, sometimes the problem with uh, the left is – they can kind of eat their own, and they're trying to unionize right now, mm, and that's causing some yeah, issues. That's rough. Yeah. Um, then you can look at the Declaration of Causes. Each state, when they declared secession, wrote out why they did it. Um, I like. I, I've been working on creating an inquiry lesson of having the kids what caused the Civil War. Mm-hmm. Um, Lincoln Douglas debates. Yeah, kind of. There's some quotes in there you can pull yeah. out. Um, do you have anything other other resources? Mm, There's tons. There's so much. Um, I started listening to one, uh, one podcast. I kind of listen to it off and on. Um, and there's also Yale courses, which is uh, you can go to YouTube and see those, or you can go to podcasts. Yeah. Um, they have Yale courses, and there's one over the Civil War, and it's very slow moving, and but it's a really really good um, analysis of the Civil War and the causes of the Civil War. Uh, the one, Another one that I'm using right now that I'm listening to, which isn't directly Civil War, but 
It's Throughline. Have you listened to mm-hmm. Throughline yet? Oh, you got to listen. It's so good. But basically takes modern problems that we have and then goes back into the history of them. Okay. And one that they did was a short episode, but it was over Andrew Johnson's impeachment. And that one was really eye-opening to me and really interesting to me. But it, they have all different episodes. Um, but that one's pretty good. But that does have some graphic content in it sometimes. I would say uh, the book Apostles of Disunion is a really good one. It just kind of lays out... This is what was said before. This was said after by the same people. Mm-hmm. Take it, take it with what you will. Um, I don't know. It, this isn't. I don't get scared of teaching this. I, I don't mind teaching slavery. Um, you know, I love simulations. I am never doing a slave simulation. Never, ever. You remember it's a that terrible like, history idea. alive one that a long time ago that was like the slave ship. No. Oh, yeah. No. I never did it, but it was like you line the kids up and have them like simulate what it's like to come over on a slave ship. And I'm just like, that is a terrible idea. I I just, um, I don't think it's appropriate. Um, Yeah. Never, never do I ask them to do like sensory figures from the point of view of a slave. I just don't go down that road. It's a lot of, we do a lot of expository writing with this unit. Well, you have to be a little aware of the kids in your room and understand that you can't ask a, you can't ask an African American kid to any take kid. on some of those roles. Yeah, well, but primarily, kid. especially though, um, I don't mind having, like I said, I don't mind having these conversations. I don't mind addressing difficult concepts. It's just you have to be smart about it and yeah. understand that some things just don't need to be. They don't need to experience slavery. Yeah, they don't have to experience it to understand. They should never have to experience it no. to understand how terrible it is. Well, and even videos sometimes being what they are, you got to be careful. I know you yeah. had an issue. Um, you showed Glory one year? I showed Glory one year, not by choice. Like, my team did it, and I just was a little teacher, so I was going along with it. Well, And uh, there was a um, – it was actually a white female student who got really upset at the whipping scene uh-huh. where um, Denzel, Washington. Denzel Washington gets whipped. And, you know, she had abuse in her history, and so she, I didn't know. And she got really upset and left my classroom, and it was um, – everything worked out. But I, you just never want to put kids in a situation – I don't show full full fledged films anymore in no. my classroom, so I don't have that issue. But I always recommend to my kids, like, hey, if you want to watch this or that, get parent permission. It is rated R. It does have this scene in it, but it really shows the struggle. And I actually had a girl. Um, we we're doing the Civil War right now, but I had a girl email me yesterday on Canvas, and she went home and watched the excerpts from Pickett's Charge. Okay. From the Civil War, the Gettysburg movie. And she emailed me and she was like, thanks for telling me about this. She goes, I cried. It's so sad. Even though I don't agree with the Confederacy, the whole thing is just sad. And we talk about like Antietam and how, mm-hmm. you know, there's so many deaths that technically the North wins. But I'm like, who wins in that? Yeah, Nobody's right. winning in this. This is just bad in general. Well, I've seen uh, I've seen teachers do movie nights. They're all always... Um, that's a good not, idea. not required, but yeah. you, you show a movie. You may show a movie. You may show um, Lincoln, or you may show. See, Lincoln's too dry. It's so boring. Maybe, or, oh you, or you show something that maybe is um, a little edgier, but you give options. You know, if they can't come to the movie or the parents don't want to watch the movie, then you have them do something yeah. else. Um, I don't like just giving one option and saying, hey, if you make it, you get extra credit. And if you don't, you don't. Um, yeah. Equi- it's got to be equitable. I wouldn't give extra credit for that, but. Uh, it, I, my kids would show up, but we do America, the story of us, yeah. which is really good. And it's, it shows a lot of, um, it's kind of graphic. And there's a scene where he's like trying to, you know, cut off a guy's leg. This is the civil war, not the oh, I love road to civil war. That's my favorite part. I skip over it. Cause I'm like, Oh no, can't do it. Can't do it. And the kids get so mad. They're like, no, but I mean, I show it starting and then I'm like, okay, we're going to skip. And they get mad. But. Well, I think you have to be careful on the one before the war. They talk about, um, and I forget the gentleman, 12 Years a Slave, the, uh, the gentleman that was, that book, he wrote that book, talks about a slave auction, and there's um, some inappropriate touching by, at a slave auction by a In white. that show? Yeah. In the, really? Yeah, I, I haven't always, seen that I always part. had to skip ahead. I haven't seen that part. Um, I don't watch the Division one very often, but I do remember the scene where, like, they're looking at their teeth. Yeah. And that always, and they're, the part where they separate the mom from mm-hmm. the baby, I can't watch that anymore after having my own child yeah. without, like, literally crying. And the kids are looking at me like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, they're taking her baby. Yeah. It's just terrible. But it does show Frederick Douglass. Yes. Which is really good. We talk a lot about Frederick Douglass. I think he's very underrated. Yes. Um, and not not the 
huge fan of William Lloyd Garrison, but he he pushes Lincoln pretty hard. Yeah. There's a great Shag uh, activity, uh, Stanford Read Like a Historian, on um, did, the, did Lincoln free the slaves or did the slaves free themselves? We're jumping way ahead to the Civil War, but, you know, use that resource as well because mm-hmm. there's well, some good stuff and good basis for stuff in there's there. There's one that I do that's Reconstruction, and it's um, Were the Slaves Actually Free? after the Civil War, and I like that one. Um, the one that I do not like that's done by Shag is the one where it's like, was Lincoln a racist? He was. Well, I'm not, that's fine if that's- That's not necessary in class. I don't feel like that's gonna be any beneficial to kids. Like, I'm not gonna put any situation where they're asking that. And I don't feel like it relates to the teaks either, so I don't feel like I could justify Probably it. not, but if you have a class that's really high end, that's quick, that gets the material, and you want them to, to, so we make these judgments on these people today based off of what they believed back then. And sometimes we can do that easily, and sometimes it's harder. Yeah. Lincoln was a racist, but he also pushed for the 13th Amendment. He also freed the slaves legally from you know a government standpoint. So I just feel like it's hard to judge somebody off of documents from uh, almost 200 years ago and just make a blanket statement like that. Like I like kids to look at it from all angles and not just label somebody. Well, that's what you do then though, right? Like that's, that's the conversation. That's right. How you so I would just lesson. change the question. It's how you approach the lesson. Does, does, does Lincoln's views about African-Americans matter when determining his legacy or something like yeah, that? Yeah. I like that better. Like, does it, is that something we should take into effect? Same thing with Washington, same thing with Jefferson. Um, no, no. Not Jefferson. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he would probably be the most interesting one to do out oh, of those three. He is. Okay. Well, we've rambled on now we for have. plenty of we time. We have. We went all over the place today. It was great. All right. Well, we'll let the people decide. But thanks for listening. Yeah. Give as us, always. And please rate us on uh, iTunes so that more people can find us and share with your friends. And please, if there's something we need to do different, please let us know or get any ideas. We'd be happy to hear them. Sounds great. Thanks. Right. Bye. Hey there, thanks for listening to our podcast. Join in the discussion on Twitter using the hashtag pasttopresentpod or tweet us at at pasttopresentpod. That's past, the number two, present, P-O-D. If you have a minute, please consider helping other educators find our show by sharing our podcast on Twitter or giving us review on iTunes or Podbean. Special thanks to all those who helped develop the content for today's episode. Audio mixing for this episode done by Lindsay Stevens and music credit to bensound.com. All thoughts and ideas expressed in today's episode are that of the hosts and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs of KDISD.